Well, welcome to Alpine Church, everyone. My name's Pastor Jared. I also want to thank you guys for being here. Thanks for joining us. This was expected without bad weather to be a very small Sunday. Um, and then on top of that, add some snow, and very much so. And I also want to just thank all of our volunteers who are here, along with our worship team as well. It really is a team approach. I get, so oftentimes, I get way too much credit, or the leadership here within Alpine gets way too much credit, uh, because we could not exist without all the volunteers that come and serve and are here faithfully. And so again, today is just a reflection of that, and we couldn't have been able to do what we do even today without all the awesome volunteers that are here with us this morning. Well, before I get into it, if you are a guest of ours, I would love to meet you, not to be intimidating in any way, but if you are a guest today, that is awesome news. Um, again, thanks for joining us. There's two ways, if you are a guest, that you can let us know that you're with us today. You can go to our website, alpinechurch.org/west-haven. Also, we have hard copies of that digital welcome card at our welcome desk. If you have any questions, we got people at our welcome desk that can answer those questions along with myself. But the reason we want your information, we'd love to send you an email thanking you for being with us. And then if you need any support or questions, you can, like prayer requests or any needs that we can be helpful in, reach out to us via email, and then we can communicate that way as well. I do have one uh, quick announcement for our new service times. Two weeks from today, starting January 15th, we're moving from 9.45 to 11.15. The reason we're doing that, we're a multi-site church many locations, but one church. And if you are a two-service format, like West Haven and like Layton and Riverdale and Brigham, all of us are now going to be centralized with the same service times. And that's just something we've been wanting to do for years now. Finally got around to it. So year, year 21 is we're really making some good and big changes for us here at Alpine Church. And then also, parents, I know there's a few of here. I, I, I peeked at Kids Church. They're having a little party um, in the large group room today, we kind of planned that ahead of time. We gave these out right after Thanksgiving, the M&M tubes, asked your kids to uh, eat the M&Ms and then fill this up with money and change. And if you've forgotten about this, there's still time. All the money's going to the church in Ensenada that we partner with for kids in Mexico, and we're providing jackets with all the funds that are being raised in those M&M tubes. So if you haven't brought them back, or this thing is uh, rolling around in, you know, behind the seat of mom and dad's minivan along with the fries, bring them in. We would appreciate it. <clears throat> All right, we are starting a new series today, the book of Mark. And we're doing something a little bit different here. <clears throat> we're looking at the book of Mark, and we're going to spend the next three months. And we are excited and today we're just going to give a quick intro to the book of Mark. Um, but usually we do, you know, five week, four to five week series. The longest series that I can recall we did, we just did this last summer. We went through the Pursuit series, which was 10 weeks. And I know 10 weeks on, you know, one particular topic, or in this sense, three months on one particular topic, you might be thinking, well, that could be redundant. Well, let me tell you, the Gospel of Mark is not redundant. So even within the Gospel of Mark, there's going to be series. And I think it's going to be really good for us. And so what we're going to be looking at today is this. We're going to be looking at the book. We're going to be looking at the author. We're going to be looking at the audience. And we're going to look at the big idea of Mark. But before we jump into it, 
I want you to answer this question. If you wrote a book about what mattered most, what would be the first verse? What would your first verse be that is something in your life that is the most important? If you were going to write a book, what's most important to you? And as you're thinking that through, would it line up with the people that know you best in life? So think about your kids, think about your spouse, think about your family members, think of all those. And as you're thinking through that first verse of what matters most in your life, what would that align up with what your kids would say about you, what your spouse would say about you, what your family would say about you? I think this is really good to kick off this series because what Mark does is he answers this question. He answers what's the most important thing, and we're going to see this in Mark 1.1, but we're not going to read it until the very end of the message. And so I just want you to think, now, yes, you can cheat. Yes, we're in church, but if you look ahead, you might be able to see what Mark wrote in chapter 1, verse 1. But going back to us, when I think this through, my answer, if I'm thinking it through my own lens, that I'm hoping that it would be something I was all sold out for Jesus. You know, I've had this heart to serve him ever since I came to faith. And a few years after that, God started leading me in a different direction as far as what my career path would be. And, and I just wanted to serve Jesus. And, and I'm hoping that my first verse would have everything to do with Jesus. But if I get truthful with myself and said, hmm, how would my kids answer that question about dad? I have three boys. And they might say something like, well, it is really important on how to load a dishwasher because when I do it wrong, my dad lets me know. <laughs> they would also say something to the effect, and I don't know what happens when the rams are wrong, but there's a transformation that happens. And by his passion, his anxiety, his frustration, the rams must be very important to him. And that is all very true. Like, I don't know why, and there are some embarrassing moments in my life as it's related to watching sports. I don't know why I get so worked up. But it'd be interesting to see what the closest people around us would say about it. And hopefully our actions, because my actions, like, again, I know, I know my middle child. He, he loads the dishwasher, and he tries to take one pan and block everything, so he only has to put, like, four items in. And when you look and he's like, Dad, nothing else will fit. And I know that's his strategy. Now, my role is to correct him when this happens. Position things, get that thing fully loaded. It's not even ready to wash yet. We need more dishes, so hold on. But it's our actions that cause us then to think through what our first verse would be. And are we really living out that action of what that verse would say? Because it's all about Jesus. And so, yes, I know Jesus really doesn't care about the dishes. I know Jesus really doesn't care about whether the Rams win or lose. But it's interesting as we answer this question for ourselves, and those are just a couple silly scenarios. There's many more out there that I can come up with. But I want you to be thinking about this, and then we're going to look at what Mark says at the end of the message. So let's jump into it. We're going to be looking at the book. Mark is the shortest gospel, probably written around 55 AD. It's an action gospel with vivid descriptions and fewer teachings than the other gospels. So here's what we need to know. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by four different people. And each gospel is unique. 
And I love that because there's certain things in this gospel that might not be in the other gospel, and it's not that one gospel is lacking anything. These four gospels come, come together to really give us the collection of the four gospels, the four books, that reveal to, to us who Jesus is. It shares about his life. It shares about his mission. It, 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 it communicates the details of his purpose. And he even has words then in there for us about what he has expectations for us all throughout the Gospels. So last, the last month, I love the book of Luke because the book of Luke has the Christmas story. And I love that. I love the Christmas story. And it, you know, God comes to Mary and reveals all the plans about how she's going to be a part of bringing in the Savior of the world, baby Jesus. And I love that. And then it has the Christmas story after, through the birth and how the angels appeared to shepherds. And they said, go see him. And they went and saw him. And it was just this huge celebration of a, a select few that were able to put their eyes on Jesus. And I love that. Well, Mark doesn't mention anything about the birth of Jesus because Mark really focuses on more about the ministry. And that's where he starts, really starts with John the Baptist. And then he goes out into the desert and he jumps right in. If you get into chapter one, you can see the pace of how Mark is writing this book. And it is moving. And that's why it is the gospel that really is all about action. It's today for, for us Americans, especially for us who, you know, grew up watching a lot of movies, the, the gospel of Mark is more like a movie where it's a scene and jumps and it goes right to the next scene. It doesn't do a whole lot of explaining details of explaining things. It's more written like a movie than a book or a play because it gets right to it and it's like jump cuts. When you look at chapter one and you see Jesus is tempted and then he chooses his disciples and I mean it's just moving from chapter or the, the chapter titles within chapter one. There's so many different opportunities to be engaged about the details of what God's word is communicating to us here today. And to kind of look at what that means in Mark 1, 16 and 17, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. The word immediately or at once. So on my phone, I have the NLT. So in the NLT, it says, At once they left. They left their nets and followed him. Forty times in the 16 chapters of Mark, it talks about immediately or something happening at once, like it is just on the move. It continues to move forward. And I love it because Mark is writing in a way that is clear, concise, and compelling. You know, this message might not be the clear, most concise, or compelling message, but what Mark does in the book of Mark, when you're reading it, it's clear, it's concise, and it's compelling, and it has movement. And for years, I would instruct people, hey, if you're new to the Bible and you kind of want to get a good orientation, here's a good place to start. And I always pointed them to John. And the reason I pointed them to John, because in the beginning of John, it just clearly states who Jesus is. But really, if you want to have just a more thorough, quick snapshot of everything about Jesus, Mark is the easiest read. It really is. And it grabs your attention and really doesn't let up. So it's very engaging. It's very compelling. And it's clear and concise. So I would encourage, if you're here today and you're like, hey, 
I want to start reading the Bible, but, you know, the book's a little bit thick. It's a little bit intimidating. You know, I would say start in Mark. We're going to be talking about Mark at least for the next three months. We might extend that. Um, but we have three months kind of planned out on the spreadsheet for the teaching schedule. But we're excited. We're excited to do this series. We're, in start, we're excited to start off the year in the gospel of Mark and really dig into it. All right, so that's the book, fast pace, moving, action-oriented gospel book, Mark. Now let's talk about the author. The early church unanimously believed this account was written by John Mark, who likely got his information from Peter's preaching and memoirs. And the reason we say believe this because the writer never communicated who they were, but there's been a lot of research there's been a lot of people that have looked into this, and yes, to date, we believe that all of the book of Mark was written by John Mark. Now, we know he was around Peter. He was influenced by Peter's teaching, so if you go into the book of Acts, that's when we first see John Mark's name. So here it is. In Acts 13, 13 and 14, here's what it is. Paul and Barnabas are about to go out on their very first missionary journey. And this is what it says about it. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. So this is Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was Paul's mentor. And this is their first missionary journey in Scripture, in Acts. You know, the early church is starting to move. And this is Paul's journey. He goes out with Barnabas, and it says John Mark was with them, but left them. Now, we're going to see a little bit more of kind of the division that this caused between Paul and Barnabas. And at this time, John Mark is young. He's a young believer. He's young. And we don't really know all the details of why he left. We just know that he left. And it was pretty early in the beginning of the journey that he left. But we see more about this, especially from Paul. Paul had strong opinions about things. He was passionate about things. So in Acts 15, verses 36 through 38, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. So this is the second missionary journey of Paul's three journeys in Acts. And it says, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, he had not continued with them in their work. So now we get a little bit more that Paul is saying, we felt deserted, and we see that this desertion came true. And so now Paul and Barnabas are going to be divided over this, and Paul goes one direction, and Barnabas goes another direction. But it's encouraging to see how Paul, yes, was frustrated with John Mark in his earlier years of ministry, but John Mark came around because here's what 2 Timothy says. So Paul's in prison. He reaches out to Timothy, please come because only Luke is with me right now. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. So now we can see this understanding. This is at least many years after, at least a decade after, and we, we, we start to see that Paul's words about John Mark are useful. He's helpful in my ministry. And this is good news because when we're young, I look back at myself when I was, 
when I came to faith and I'm young in ministry, I didn't make a whole lot of good decisions. I still was making some bad decisions. There was, again, there's no perfect people. And we see that in John Mark. We can see that in ourselves. When I first came to faith, I didn't realize that God was going to even lead me into ministry. And yes, I was still making bad decisions and you know, I wasn't perfect by any means, and yet God still had a plan to use me. And through patience and leading for all of us, it is awesome that God gives us second and third and fourth chances in life again and again and again. And I love this story because it's, it's important that we relate to the people in the Bible. And if we can't really relate to the people in the, even the you know, the, what they call like the Bible heroes, they were far from perfect people. They made all kinds of mistakes in life. And so as we live life and we make mistakes, it is so great that Scripture reinforces this because we have hope. And you might be sitting here going, well, God really can't use me. Yes, he can. God can use anyone. Now, hopefully that he will lead you to a point of surrender where you say, yes, I want to just honor God with my life. I want you to lead my life. Yes, this sin or whatever the issues that I'm dealing with, Lord, I want to surrender those to you. But it's just encouraging, like John Mark, that we can still be used by God even when we make wrong decisions. And so that's the audience. Or, I'm sorry, that's the author. Let's look at the audience. Now we see the original audience was likely Gentile. So a lot of times the author will clearly state his name, who he's writing to. But Mark gets right to the point about the ministry of Jesus and just moves right into it. And he really doesn't give us the full picture. But it was possibly written during a time when persecutions threatened the church. We know that people at this time were being persecuted. You know, Paul, many years before this, he was persecuting the church as the church was really um, starting to evolve. But at this time, we can see that the church was being persecuted. So this audience would have been the, the Christians in Rome and the Gentiles. And it's important to understand that we're persecution because when, when we're being persecuted, it's very easy for us to waver in our faith. Meaning, I think as we read this gospel, there's this urgency to get this word out to the hearers at the time because they were being persecuted. And there's this understanding, well, who knows even how long before possibly all the Christians in this moment can be erased from the earth, that there's this urgency. I know for many years in ministry, I've had a couple phone calls and they were urgent phone calls, meaning there was somebody in the hospital. I mean, Davis has my phone number uh, because I was up at the Leighton campus for so many years, and they knew if some, they needed a pastor, and, the, you know, they had Washington Heights and, and Alpine, and I would get this call, and there's somebody that wants to talk to you, and so I'd, I'd head down to the hospital, and, and I, I would feel this urgency of really trying to figure out where this person is spiritually. Like, it's, this person's on the clock, and it's happened a couple times, and I think as we're looking at the church who's being persecuted, I think what we see is the, the church under persecution, and there's just this urgency of getting the truth about Jesus out so that more and more people can respond. And I'd walk in there, and I would start asking questions. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard conversation to have, but, you know, I'd ask them about God, and I'm trying to see if they use Jesus language in their response of any kind. But then I know at some point I just got to cut right through it. Do you, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe the Jesus of the Bible? 
And at times it's no. And I was like, do you mind if I share what Jesus in the Bible did for you? There's this urgency because the reason I was there is this person most likely was not going to make it unless some miracle happened within them. And I felt this urgency to share the gospel and allow, and just giving them the opportunity to hear it and to respond to it. That was my rule. I walked in there knowing my responsibilities to share the gospel, get to the gospel at some point, say it and allow them to hear it and possibly respond to it. And yeah, when someone's on their deathbed or someone's on the hospital and they don't know the outcome, they're a little bit open. They're a little bit open to hearing what God has to say because of the urgency that they find themselves in. And my hope is if you ever get that opportunity, you know, you have loved ones, and I know as people get older, we pass here, and, but this isn't really the end of God's plans, and understanding kind of what we're going to be talking about in the book of Mark is really important to have a healthy understanding that this time here that we have with one another actually is very short compared to what we are going to experience but there's been some family members, and uh, I have some, I have a lot of, I have five pastors in my family, so there's been a lot of opportunity for me to hear when so-and-so was getting close, people jump on planes and go. And we do that for our loved ones. And there's that urgency to share the gospel with them. And this, the, the church at the time is in this time of persecution, and there's just this urgency to get this word out from Mark to them. And my hope is that you will be able to be involved in some of those conversations. Whether you want to or not, it's an amazing conversation to be a part of. If God uses you in the moment of need and somebody who is really thinking and doubting and not understanding their future of what's next for them and you can come and bring this healing and this peace that only comes from Jesus, it is such a reward. It is such a reward to be able to communicate the gospel to our loved ones. My hope is that you get to experience that. And so here's the big idea. Mark wrote this account to show the world who Jesus is and what he has done. The central theme of Mark is outlined in the first verse of the book. Here's what Mark is going to share with us. Here is what is the most important verse. This is the most important thing I can write. And again, he's being, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. Like he used, God used his hand. But this is what's written is the most important first verse. It is the most important thing in life. And now let's look at it. Mark 1.1. 1, 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's clear. It's concise. And it's compelling. The whole book is like this. The whole book is like this. Now, there's three things that he mentions in here, and we're going to break this down. First is the good news. There is good news. Jesus came into this world to bring good news. News that can transform things, news that can change things. It is good. And I want us to go back thousands of years ago. Generation after generation knew that this good news was coming. They knew, because we'll get to the Messiah in a minute. That's the next thing. But this good news was coming. And generation after generation was anticipating this good news. And to be able to put us in that moment when the good news came, I mean, it changed like the, just the hope that is connected to this good news would have just transformed so many lives. 
And it starts with this good news. In a world that is bad news. And there's been bad news throughout history. All we have to do is go back, look at the fall when Adam and Eve and sin entered the world. There has just been this bad news. And even today, yes, we can talk about good things, but there's bad things happening in the world, and there will always be bad things happening in the world. But I want to say this. There is times where the news that we receive from doctors about ourselves, about our kids, is not good. And those are those challenging moments. So let's go back to the church that's persecuted. There were people dying for their faith. And I think maybe close ones or people who knew them are like, why are they doing that? Why are they allowing that to happen? Why don't they say something different? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Or when we get the news that we don't want to hear and we classify it as bad news, God, why would you allow that to happen? And there are things that are difficult for us to face. Absolutely. My heart goes out to families and parents who lose their children, and that is so sad. My heart breaks for him, but so does God's. But knowing that this is not God's complete plan for us, we need to know and understand that. So yes, when we face those difficult challenges in life or support families in those difficult challenges of life and the news isn't good, we can still look to the good news. And even within the most tragic scenarios that you can even think of, and our mind can go to some bad scenarios, we don't have to have to ever waver from this good news that comes from Jesus because this good news is not about us. This good news is about Jesus. And that's where our minds have to go when we get some bad information or the outcome is bad for our loved ones. We focus not on us, not on them, but the good news that Jesus brought to this world. He brought amazing news, and that amazing news is for all humanity, and we just need to trust in that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we face. No matter what we encounter, we can have faith and trust in this good news because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus. Now let's look at the second part of this. Jesus, the Messiah, Again, the Messiah is here. They've been talking about that, the people of Israel. The Messiah is coming. He's going to establish a new kingdom, something different. You know, they were enslaved in Egypt, and they just had hardship after hardship after hardship. But when the Messiah came, things were going to change, and he is the Savior of the world. It is Jesus the Messiah. And Think of that anticipation, and for us, we look at this, and we go, yes, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior is here, the one who can save us. Because I go back to the last, the audience. God's word was written in a way that it's for whoever's going to read it. It was directed at a group of people, but it was also directed at a group of people and then to us for eternity, forever, however long before we go home to Jesus. That's the timestamp. This word is relevant to us here today and we can read this. We know that Jesus came. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Jesus' words himself, nobody comes to the Father except through me. We can trust in that and boy, is it important to get Jesus right. It is so important to get Jesus right. And I love how Mark wraps up verse 1, this clear and concise first verse, that he's the son of God. Now, there's this sonship that goes on with a father and a son, and there's this connection. 
but knowing it's even bigger than anything we can experience here on earth. This is talking about the Trinity. It's talking about the Father, and it's talking about the Son. And Jesus just wasn't born into this world, an important person or an important king. He is God in the flesh. I said it is so important. It is so important to get Jesus right because nobody goes to the Father except through Jesus. And if you have the wrong Jesus, there are consequences to that. And so these aren't coming from Pastor G. This isn't my advice. This isn't me. We are reading God's truth. We are reading God's word. And what does God's word say? God's word clearly communicates. And we're going to look at this more, more in the baptism of Jesus, which is again in chapter one of Mark. So we'll be talking about this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And that's why you can put your faith and trust in him. He came and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And we can be saved by placing our faith, by believing in what Jesus did for us. It's the most amazing gift that you could ever receive. In this one verse, we're going to be talking about the good news, the Messiah, the Son of God, because this is the big idea of the entire book of Mark. And the reason why we're going to spend three months at least, possibly more, is because this is worth talking about for three weeks or four months or five months. This is so important. It's worth talking about it. And hopefully you will get excited about that. Hopefully you will say, man, I'm really going to commit. I know you're, I don't have to tell that to you guys here about commitment because you are here today. There's a lot more people that need to get caught up with this message. Hopefully they watched it online. But this is so important. So we're not going to close with a, a last psalm, but we are going to wrap up here with communion. I just talked about Jesus has done everything for us. He made it possible. So if you don't have a communion cup, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring one up to you. This is for anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. We invite you to be a part of this. I can remember when I was in church in my early 20s and I wasn't a believer and I just let the elements pass because I didn't quite understand what they were and I didn't know how to respond to them. And I was grateful that the pastor led in a way that he's like, hey, we're so glad you're here if you're trying to discover who God is, who Jesus is, but just let these, these elements pass. But luckily I came to the response and I put my faith and trust by believing in what Jesus did on the cross. And when I look at his time with his disciples at the last, summer, at the last supper and he's kind of communicating these details about what he's about to do and they were confused, as all of us would be confused. It's easy to pick on them, but they didn't quite understand how a death was going to result in victory, how a death was going to lead to life, but eventually they learned what that meant. And the most amazing thing Jesus asks of us is just to remember. He says, remember me. Remember when I went and died on the cross for you, I've said this before, and the, the, the greatest love story that exists is right here in Scripture. And you're the main character. Jesus loves you, and he died for you. And he demonstrated that love by leaving his reign in heaven. Think about that. He's reigning in heaven, and he comes into this filth of a world of sin to save you. He did all the work. And so... We talked about a lot of these bad scenarios. He has done everything. 
He has done everything for every living person, past, present, and future, to save them from the consequences of sin, to save them from hell, because heaven and hell is real, and people are going to both places. That's what Scripture says. And he has done everything to save us from hell. He has done everything. And he proved it by going to the cross and dying. He was born into this world as a baby. And his purpose in life, his mission in this life for the world was to die on that cross. So that we then could receive life. That we could be forgiven of our sins. It's an amazing love story. So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to take your your wafer, which represents Jesus' body, and remember that he paid the penalty for our sins. It was his body that was beaten. Let's take this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. We remember that it was Jesus' blood that was poured out for our sins. Let's take this and drink this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful for you. We're thankful for your gift of salvation. We're thankful for your word. I pray that through this series of of the book of Mark, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, reveal things to us that we've never seen before in your scriptures, Lord. But most importantly, God, just draw us closer to you, that we can be drawn closer to your word when we we understand the truths of, of you and the love that you have for us, Lord. We're grateful for the good news that comes from you, Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, Lord. And I pray as we dig into this more, all throughout this series, Mark's going to continue to answer all the questions about what that means, that you are the good news, that you are the Messiah, the Savior, and the Son of God, Lord. And I pray that we would just have a better understanding and grow closer to you, Lord. And I pray for all those who are here that have not yet received your gift of salvation. Lord, I I think of our little ones in the large group right now in Kids Church. I pray that you would just bless those kids, Lord, bless those parents. I pray that those children would come to know you because that's what this life is about. And before we face any hardships or before we get any bad news about our health or any of this, Lord, I pray that we would all come to know you that we would put our faith and trust in you, that we would put our faith and trust in the good news that comes from you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this day as we start out a new year. I pray that this year would be a year where we are committed to getting closer and growing closer to you, Jesus. Pray that that would happen, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.